Welcome to another episode of Mama Earth Talk. I'm your host, Maris Ganal. Realizing just how much waste we generate on a daily basis, I've set a personal goal not only to reduce, reuse, and recycle, but to also educate the world about sustainability and how each of us can help preserve our beautiful planet. Thanks for listening. Let's dig in. Did you know that airline passengers generated 5.2 million tons of waste in 2016? That is the equivalent weight of 2.6 million cars. And this is set to double in the next 15 years. Wow. Our guest today has traveled to every single country in the world, 15 of those he has lived in for more than two months, and more than 50 of those he had visited twice or more, and this all before the age of 27. He also studied economic development. Crazy Birds, without any further ado, I would like to welcome Sal Lavallo. Thank you for having me. I like that you started by shaming travelers, then you <laughs> introduced me as a big traveler. So. Well, that is one of the hard facts that we need to come to realization of. And so about your traveling, like how did that journey start? So I think that there's a few things that led to it. One is just a, I mean, the journey to every country happened really organically. And it was really about a love for the world rather than a love for travel. And I think that that love for the world came about mostly because of my family. My parents are both from immigrant families to the United States. And so growing up like different cultures around me always made me want to learn about other cultures. And then I went to international boarding school, the United World College, where I had uh, classmates from 90 different countries. And so those things really made it the world a small, accessible place and a place I was excited to go and explore. And for work and for school and economic development and identity studies, I would travel a lot. And then also like in my personal time, I just love to go and meet new people and see new things. Awesome. And did you ever imagine that you would travel to all the different countries or was there a point in your life that you were like, okay, I'm so close, let's just do it? Yeah, I think I always thought I would do it in my lifetime. I mean, I think a lot of people say that. I didn't think I would do it at the age of 27. That was kind of a surprise. It happened not by accident, but I had taken off what I thought would be six months of work to just relax a little bit and travel a small amount. And that turned into like nine months and then a year. And then I found out I was like very close to being to all of them. And I thought, you know what, let's take off another year and just like finish it like time is now. I'm wow. so happy that I did. That's amazing. And with this whole traveling, so did you then go and make a list and see which of these countries you can like do on the same trips or, you know, like fly via this, this and that? Or how did you plan out that journey? That must have been a hard Yeah. One. So I wish that I had planned it more because the truth is that it happened really like unorganized and much more opportunistic than strategic. So for example, I've been to every continent 20 or more times, except for like Australia, Oceania, where I've been five separate times. So it wasn't that I would land in the top of South America and go see everything in South America and never come back. I've been over the years going again and again to a lot of these places. I wish I had done it all like more strategically, 
for example, my last four countries were in four different continents. So that was a little wow. bit exhausting to like jump around. But it was like a lovely final view of the world to do it that way as well. That sounds amazing. Yeah. The world is becoming more high tech and we are seeing a lot of people in developing countries have access to cell phones, yet we still have about 1.3 billion people that do not have electricity. How did you find this during your travels? Yes, yeah, so I think that in terms of technology, I think it's kind of a double-edged sword. It's great because people have a lot more access to information. They're able to like learn more and be connected with others. I think one negative aspect of it, which is way outweighed by all the positives, is that people are kind of now more aware of like where they are within development which is good. I mean, like people should be aware and like should fight for it. But I, I've seen it lead often to like an increased knowledge of, I don't know how to say it, like it would be... Like kind of disheartening for those yeah. people to know they're in these situations. Exactly. Like they would, they see, they're able to now see constantly like rappers and like movie stars and politicians like jetting around the world. And that's so inaccessible to so many people. And that can like really like break a lot of people's hearts and but I think that's way far away by the ability for humans to connect across like a huge broad spectrum now. Um, in terms of the like electricity and like cell phone access, I think having access to communication lines is amazing because it allows people to connect. It allows people to do business. It allows people to really expand their social networks. And, but yeah, I mean, 1.3 billion out of 7 billion not having electricity, that's, that's kind of mind blowing and to think, um, you know, how many lights do we have on here? You know, yeah, like, and how much electricity we use on a daily basis that's, that's not really required, you know? It's, um, you know, like I think about it so often, like just turning off something or like, why do I need this or that? You know, like it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, and it's, you know, so I have a really unique experience that I own a farm in Tanzania. I go there every year. It's a, a rural, a very rural village often is without electricity and that um, really is giving me like an intimate understanding of that kind of other side of like this specific problem. And that's is like really enlightening to realize that things that you take for granted, like just plugging in your phone whenever it, the battery dies or like Googling something to get news, you can't do that if you're not having electricity, not to mention just the amount of normal everyday activities that stop if it's dark. You know, you just cannot, like, we couldn't do this if we had no electricity right now. I mean, not just the filming, but in terms of, like, seeing it's one, dark, of, like, we'd be, yeah. we'd have to light the candle, you know? Exactly. Wow. Thinking, you know, during my studies, thinking back on that, there was a lot of the times, like, studying in Pretoria and South Africa, that we did not have electricity. You know, some days it would be, like, you know, for a few hours, sometimes it would be for a day. And you need to consider like, you know, I've got assignments to do. Yeah. I would need a laptop. Now my laptop can't charge because we don't have electricity. And living in an apartment, it's not so easy to just like plug in a generator or yeah. something. So you've got all of those things that you need to think of as well. It gives you it gives you a bit more appreciation when you do flick the switch and there is actually electricity. So, yeah, I mean, for me, it is shocking to know that so many people cannot do that. What's so. cool is that now with communication, a lot of times it happens, at least in like my village in Africa and Tanzania, is that 
when the electricity does go out, we're able, we get a SMS, like a text message from the electricity company saying when it will come back. And that's cool, right? Because you could not have had that before, like cell phone networks. That's just a, you know, you have the problem of still like, you know, insufficient electricity, but you have increased communication that kind of mitigates the problem a little bit because then you can say, okay, now I will rest and then I'll wake up and study later, you know. That's true. Yeah, because then at least, you know, with study breaks or when you want to prepare food or something. So at least it gives you that heads up. Yeah. 2.1 billion people lack access to safely managed drinking water services. Wow. Were there times during your travels that you were a bit worried about the scarcity of the water in the locations you were in? I definitely had to prepare for those situations. I love to travel by road. So I would often do 24, 36 hour bus or car journeys through countries, always by public transportation. So always, you know, amongst others. And so we would be passing through completely rural off the grid areas, often dirt roads, um, like no, nothing in sight. And so I would bring a lot of water with me, just like being aware of that. And thanks be to God, I never like had a situation where I ran out of water. But yeah, I mean, you have to like think, you know, that's key. And it's also water is the key, one of the key words of that fact is clean water, right? And so a lot of times you're offered water that isn't drinkable. And so being very aware of that, and sometimes it can feel a little bit like distancing to say like, oh no, I can't have your water. Yeah. But you have to like stay alive. you know. So, exactly, because obviously these people drink these water on a daily basis, so they are used to it, whereas you're not. So if yeah. you're going to drink it, you can get very sick. And in places where they like, access to medical facilities and things aren't that easy to come by that that can be life-threatening yeah and it's also like a little bit of a fallacy like the idea of being used to the food or the water because they're still getting cholera it's not that they're used to like these kind of communicable diseases it's that they aren't have no other option you know like packets of water they're like in little plastic containers which is awful but they're like five cents in like most of like West Africa, for example, yeah, and they're clean, but five cents is still a lot for a small amount of water for people. So, you know, even that's community. That sounds terrible. I mean, yeah. So again, thankful for water. Yeah. Like, where would you say have you had your best tap water? In like Scandinavia, I always think of Scandinavia as like clean and like <laughs> environmental. And it's proven to be like true and also a little bit not, but, but yeah, it feels very like people are aware of it being clean and it's natural. Oftentimes what's natural isn't actually clean, right? Cause you'll have be like, Oh, like this wonderful stream, but also people are bathing and washing their clothes in it like a exactly. you know, hundred meters away. Whereas I think in, in Scandinavia, especially like Norway, they're natural and clean. Wow. Yeah, because I think in, in a lot of countries as well, you have not only people bathing in it, but you also have a lot of pollution, like yeah. factories just putting all of their trash in the beautiful streams, and that pollutes that as well. So you've got that factor as well, which yeah, all adds up, and people tend to drink it and get sick from it, and then we don't know why they got sick. Yeah. So yeah, it's a massive, massive problem. According to the National Geographic, shoppers in the United States 
uses almost one single-use plastic bag per resident per day versus shoppers in Denmark that use an average of four plastic bags per year. What would you say is some of the things that you have seen globally that made you go immediately, wow, that's a lot of plastic? Islands. So especially in the Pacific and generally any island, it's so difficult to have a efficient and sustainable waste management regime. And it is really upsetting. I've thought about this for the 10 or so years that I've like traveled and you'll be on this beautiful beach and then you'll just see all the trash. Some are better than others. They have landfills. Usually sometimes they have to ship it to, to mainland areas, but there's a lot of like incineration, you know, a lot of like burning of the plastics. So on islands, I'm always just like shocked about it. And it's not just plastic. I mean, it's everything. You know, they tin cans and tons of boxes and styrofoam. Any appliance that's brought anywhere is like packed in styrofoam. And then that styrofoam is on the island. And when you have some of these islands in the Pacific have the highest like per capita population density in the world, right? Like, I mean, there's hundreds and thousands of people on small, small pieces of land in places like Kiribati and Tuvalu and Nauru, you know, and then you, what do you do like in that small kind of space, like with your human waste, with your like product waste, it's, it can be like really astonishing. I would also say that there's, um, you know, in terms of like, wow, a lot of plastic, what we were just talking about, which is when I was moving and just the amount, uh, like every single thing that you see here basically was wrapped. In either styrofoam, styrofoam and plastic, yeah. and then in your cardboard box. So very overpackaged. But also from, you know, the manufacturer's side, I also understand that because yeah. they want to provide you a quality product and not have you call them and say, hey, listen, why is this scratch? So I can completely understand. And one of the companies that is kind of now making the change is IKEA that want to start producing stuff that's compostable. So, you know, once you receive that chair or that table, you can dig a hole in your garden and you just put that right in and it will be composting. That's so smart. That's so needed. So it will feed your garden. You don't have to overfill your bin. So that that's amazing. I feel, you know, there is steps being taken but it's not going to be something that's going to happen overnight, unfortunately. But we also need to kind of consider things that we do, you know. And that's one of the things that I quite like to do as well is to look at maybe like, you know, secondhand stuff as well, yeah. because that obviously comes true. Yeah. <laughs> so there's, there's always all these things. And with a lot of those stuff, you can actually get it for a lot cheaper. That's one of the options. And then also talking about the islands and with different countries, like was there one particular country that you would say that stood out for recycling, that they had amazing recycling and you as a like tourist or if you lived in those countries, which country was that and how did you experience that? So again, like back to Europe, I think there's a lot of people who are aware of it. I think it's you know, most of the public trash cans in like Germany, for example, are paper, plastic, 
or like other. So you're able to um, like separate your goods that way. They do a lot of glass bottles that can be like refilled or returned. And I've, because my family's German, I've spent a lot of time there and like always kind of been inspired by that, but also just like the population, how aware they are and like trying to work on that. And it's, you know, to be like organic as well, I think it's, it's almost like if you say that you don't eat like mostly organic, it's kind of like a sin, <laughs> which is uh, like a good kind of social pressure, I guess. Yeah. I'm like guilty of that sin though. So, you know, I guess I'm like looked down on <laughs> by then. But also, for example, Rwanda recently like outlawed plastic bags, which I, you know, Rwanda is the cleanest country in Africa. It's one of the most incredible development stories of the past 20, 25 years, considering where they were at in 1994. So that's also inspiring because I think people think of sustainability and they think of like environmentalism as a like Western driven solution. But for it to be happening all over the world is really exciting too. That's amazing. And like I've been hearing a lot of stuff, especially with both of us living in the UAE, I constantly get a people saying like, I'm from Europe and we recycle this, this and this there. But one of the things that I feel people don't really realize is that the UAE is such a new country. Like, you know, Europe has been there for hundreds and hundreds of years. And these people, as plastic was developed, everything, all of these recycling things, you know, they were taught, we can recycle this. We have the facilities They had all of these years getting ready for that. That's one of the things that I kind of like to remind people as well, that don't kind of dishearten yourself because we're not at Europe's level at the moment. We're getting there. The UAE is, is such an amazing country. And I, for one, hope in the next five to 10 years, we will be the leading country that can recycle. Anything. I would hope so. And I like if any country could do that kind of leapfrogging, it would be the UAE. Obviously, by choosing to live here, I am like a huge supporter of the UAE. And I always say it's my favorite country. And it absolutely is. But I think 100% agree with what you're saying. But also that needs to not be like an excuse for people we need to be excited that we can advance much more quickly because we have the knowledge from others. And then we have our own unique knowledge that we can add to that and get ahead. Yeah, that is a good argument to a point. Just looking at my journey on becoming more sustainable, it took a lot of research to educate myself. What role does education play in a sustainable environment? I think it's the most important role. I think that there's a lot of stuff that isn't natural or assumed to us and there's always more that can be done and so it's about educating ourselves like how can we communicate to people without being like a you know holier than thou assuming that we know better than them in a way that like encourages others i think you're really really good at that because you're always giving tips and advice but you never give judgments and that's like the perfect way to do it because then you'll think about it it might not be like that day but it'll like i said when i was unpacking all my stuff i kept thinking of you I was still unpacking and buying more furniture, but I was like, this is, you know, maybe next time. But that ignores the idea of one thing I think is really misunderstood is the evolution of germ theory and how dirty the world was and in some ways still is. And we think like, oh, like how can they have lived like that in the past, right? Like, you know, the Queen of England only showering once a couple hundred years ago or whatever. Everyone likes to state those things. 
that's still like being learned. Like the idea of being told constantly at school to wash your hands, like isn't being done everywhere in the world. And that's like a big thing, right? Because it comes down to like very like important health. But once you have that foundation, then there's like, what's the next step to being like a healthy, like hygienic and sustainable person. There's always, always more to learn, always more ways to push yourself, but it has to be done within a balance of what can you do? What makes you happy? Like what doesn't get in the way of your life? You know, we can't be completely uncomfortable. I think it, it's uh, as long as you're like on an upward trend, it's okay. But yeah, a lot of people are like, oh, like I can never be fully organic. I'm not even going to try, you know, but just do what you can or like reduce your waste a little bit or like turn off the faucet or like only use the like the smaller flush. Yeah. We don't have that in America in most places at all. Wow. Like two flushes and people probably have no idea what that is if they're in America, you know, like it. But which the, one? Which one? <laughs> yeah. And that's like crazy to like think. Yeah, because also for me, I feel there's a lot of the times that I think of every time people wash their hands when they do this, then they wash their hands. And for us, it's very easy. I walk to the tap and I wash my hands. I have soap. I can dry my hands with the towel. It's very easy for me. So I can do it every single time. I can do it as many times as I want in a day, obviously, without you know wasting too much water. But if you consider a woman that has just walked so many kilometers to carry her daily water, like I wouldn't expect of them, their whole family, to wash their hands every single time they do something because that is valuable water. Like, you know, she's definitely not going to travel that far every day so that everyone can wash their hands. I also think it's one thing that I've seen a lot is. I wash my hands to like try and kill germs. Like I wash the focuses soap, like, you know, with the water. But a lot of people wash their hands so that they're not like have physical dirt on their hand or so that it's not sticky or something. And so often they'll just use water, which is like the most important part. But like to me, it's that's weird because I'm like, no, like I'm not washing it so that it feels better. I'm washing it so that it's clean, you know, so that's like another like stage in the development of like, from not washing to washing only, you know, but, and then maybe there's always ways to be like cleaner and better and also not like to waste water. Yeah, like you don't need to overwash. Exactly. And with washing hands in the last few months in Cape Town, especially that I've yeah. visited, there was a lot of restrictions on water. So when you arrive at the airport and you go to the bathroom, all of the taps are switched off, you know, yeah. obviously the flush will work, but it, it in most of the toilets, it will say if it's yellow, let it mellow. If you it's know? brown, flush it down. Yes, but they've got hand sanitizer. So every time you want to wash your hands, you will use the sanitizer because they cannot... It's have... about cleanliness and not... Yeah. I think that's so fascinating what's happening in Cape Town. Yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy to think about that. And But people then, I think, learn to adapt. And like, I'm sitting here saying, wow, how could they ever... And I'm sure, and it does need to change, obviously. But, you know, I think it's, uh, people realize it's okay. Like you yeah. can take shorter showers or, Exactly. Know. Yeah, because one of the tips also that I have about shower is to, you know, you can always select a specific song, like your shower song, whether it's you singing or whether it's you playing it. And that's like a specific 
amount of time and then you know once that song starts you shower once it finishes you finish because that can also help you to reduce the shower time yeah i do a two song shower <laughs> and i what's funny is like we're talking about i don't think in any way like i would never consider myself a sustainable person i don't like focus on it but i think i'm like passively aware and i because i've lived a lot in places that don't have a lot of water i've lived in places like deserts in New Mexico where we had to be very aware of like our water usage and electricity. Yeah, I mean, and I get my electricity bill every month and then I'm like maybe I should turn off some lights to save a little money. Uh, but you know, but there are I guess a lot of things that like you can be like just in small ways. Even like wasting food. I hate wasting food. That really really frustrates me like more than anything else is if I didn't realize something was bad and i have to throw it out or if i'm at a room and it's hard in the uae a little bit in new york for example i always give my leftovers to like someone who like is asking for food on the street we don't really have that here mm. and there's also all the compost um, places where you can actually you know yeah. put your food in to get compost because a scary statistic actually is that one third of the food that is produced is actually wasted insane and that is a very insane amount considering how many people don't have food and that there's this kind of crisis that they say we're not going to have enough food to feed all the people but you know if you only buy what you need and you actually eat all that instead of throwing it away it can help already and i've been guilty of it so many times as well you know stuff's on sale and you just pack it in and then you realize oh this this has gone off and now you have to throw it out you can't eat it and what's sad is usually a lot of those like figures on hunger have been reduced like significantly in the past few decades but the nutrition like the amount of nutritious food that people is eating is like still a much bigger problem and the things that go bad aren't frozen like popsicles and like frozen meats it's yeah. like fruits and vegetables so that's a, a lot of times what you're throwing out is the the most nutritious thing jeez yeah what has been one of your most important decisions that you have made around mama earth i don't know actually i mean it's <laughs> like such a i guess there's like a decision like to be aware and but to not feel too guilty I think that's a really important balance that I think a lot of people are afraid of that if they even start on a journey to be more sustainable that they're going to feel bad about not being more sustainable. I'm like proud of my like successes and I'm proud of like the strengths of my like livelihood and I'm inspired by that to continue to do more rather than being upset about my weaknesses in that regard. And I think that kind of mindset or that kind of outlook is way more effective in in continuing to be more sustainable yeah. than if I was just going to be like constantly upset that I'm not like uh being better. <laughs> yeah, I think that that is that is very true and you know it's something that I face on a daily basis as well because I feel I'm one of those people that I like to walk the talk so if I say hey you know do not drink out of those plastic water bottles that you buy from the store you know use your refillable water bottle and use filter water so that's something i say to people so that's something i'm going to stand by yeah 
it's going to be a very fine line. I probably have to almost be to the point where if I don't drink water in the next hour, I'm really going to die. Then most probably I would say, okay. But other times I would be like, you know, okay, I am thirsty, but I did forget my bottle. You know, I should have packed it. I would kind of see how can I make another arrangement if I'm walking on the beach per se, there's all of these places where you can drink water from. So instead of quickly grabbing a water bottle, I'll just go to one of those places. So it's little things like that, but also it's still a journey and we don't have a packagery store yet where I can walk in and buy everything packagery. That would be great though. So if I want to buy packagery, it's going to five or six different stores and then still it's not all going to be package free and especially if you want to buy organic stuff package free that's even harder so with that as well I try to you know not punish myself and say okay you know what you you cannot buy this because of that but I do make sacrifices if if I feel something is really over packaged like a plastic wrap banana I'm definitely not going to buy that So yeah, so it's all about the little, little things. And I feel this whole sustainability thing is a journey. It's not something, well, some people do it that they just wake up one morning and be like, okay, cool. I'm plastic free now (laughs) because your life is going to be a living hell until you actually accept your shampoo, your conditioner, your soap, you, you know, to do all of those things at once. It's going to be so exhausting. But if you start, you know, I feel if you start, so now you've started with the water bottle. Now, next thing you maybe start with a bamboo toothbrush and, you know, you just have your metal straws and you don't have to suck all the time, you know, do the whole stop sucking thing. So I feel it's little, little wins and I feel you need to reward yourself for those, but don't punish yourself too much if you cannot do something. I think it's a really cool business opportunity in how like because people like me who are happy to do it but not gonna go out of like my way to which probably a lot of your listeners are like he's awful you know but i just so what i'm saying is it's a fast like if someone would give me like what do they do shampoo in that's not plastic you get the bars you get a, like a soap bar of shampoo yeah it's amazing okay. you should try it so you wet your hair you go with the bar just like one two three four five Put it down, wash your hair, and that's it. Which is probably easy for guys with like, or for people with short hair. Well, it's hair. even easy for me. Also easy. <laughs> I'm sure they have these. Like, you know, in America, there's all these like baskets. Like once a month, you get like all these new products like sent to you. Like, I'm sure they're sustainable ones. Um, yes, and there will be more sustainable ones in the future. <laughs> <laughs> Do you? Are Before you? Before Sal jumps the gun here, <laughs> oh. let's move on to our final five. Okay. <laughs> So the final five questions, it's just short and I'm going to ask you and then you just answer them very quickly. Uh I'm so bad at quickly answering. The uh, the first one is, what is one social media account that you follow? One. My own. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Sal (laughs) Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, find me anywhere. Uh, No, uh, well, I mean, yes, but I actually, it's hard because I love like, people I know more like um like designed by Mariska you've by, designed by Mariska on Instagram 
like I have a friend Keely from Australia who's like a hilarious Twitterer, tweeter. I do follow a lot of other travelers on Instagram, um, like people, and I like try and help them. So a lot of people who are trying like to go to every country in the world, because it can be like a weirdly competitive community. So I try and be like supportive and like help people try and figure it out. So like Alvaro at Wander Reds, like Jessica at the Catch Me If You Can, Drew, like Drew Binsky, all these kinds of people who like want to get to every country. I like love to um, like watch their journey and to like help them if I can in any way. Yeah. So those are some. And the second one is what is your hope for Mama Earth? I hope for Mama Earth that I would love to see like agriculture. Like I think that soon like food will be like the next gold in a way. And I mean, it, it already is such a huge part of the economy. But I want there to be like more interesting agribusinesses and like that being the cool thing to get into and like business people like wanting to own like agricultural companies and uh, like farms and cool innovations in agriculture. Cool. So that's why you bought the farm. So. It's not, but I would like, I w- that, would be, <laughs> that'd be a cool reason. Cool. And the third one is, what advice can you give all crazy birds this week to help out Mama Earth? I would say to, oh, you stole my like shower song thing. Okay, um, well, you can you can No, I, I'll think of a new one. I would say, maybe just like turn the faucet off in your bar. All your followers probably are like, so much better at all that they should give me advice. I don't know. Like, uh, well, turn the faucet off when turn you the brush. Turn the faucet off when you brush. And yeah, don't buy stuff in like too much plastic. Like just be, oh, or you know what's like a small, like this is for the people like me. And like, I always feel really proud when I do this and it's so ridiculously minor, but I like work in an office building where we have like go downstairs for lunch and they, oh, like it'll be like a sandwich or like a little salad and it'll be often in like a cardboard box and then they'll want to put it in a bag. And like put like in all of these like plastic utensils when I have it up in the office or you can get, you know, so I, um, I'm always like, no, I don't need the bag and I don't need the utensils. And I feel pretty good about myself. Awesome. Well, that's one step. One <laughs> step <true>. about. <laughs> okay. So what is one sustainability fact that you like to use in a room with people not yet on a sustainable journey? I don't think that people know or realize how many people around the world are smallholder farmers and it's something like a quarter of the population two billion people around the world are smallholder farmers and an almost equal amount rely on smallholder farmers for their livelihood and for their daily food and that's just like an incredible like thing to think about because you know in america i think it's less than two percent of people are farmers and of those i think most of those are not smallholder farmers or almost any of them yeah, so it, like farming it is so incredibly important, which is why like I have my NGO trail of seeds that works with like agricultural communities around the world because there's so many and we need to learn more about them and help them to be more successful. Awesome. And the last one is where can people find you? Uh, <laughs> I, I <forgot. laughs> if I knew that, I wouldn't have plugged. You can find me on Instagram or on Facebook or on YouTube. It's just my name, Salavalo. Also, my NGO Trail of Seeds just launched our Instagram again, Trail of Seeds, and we're going to have some new projects at the end of the year. So we're excited for that. Awesome. Sounds amazing. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank and you. we're looking forward to see more of your travels. 
and hopefully some some time traveling to space seeing that you've been yes. everywhere yeah and yeah so thank you so much that's a wrap. Thank you so much for listening. You can find the show notes for this episode at mamaearthtalk.com. Follow at Design by Mariska on Instagram or email hello at mamaearthtalk.com. And let me know if there's a topic you'd like me to talk about. I love hearing from all you crazy birds. New episodes are uploaded every Monday with a bonus Top Tip Thursday every Thursday. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss anything. Mama Earth has a voice and it's us crazy birds.